Coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with Talia Randall from the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos and Sarah Rowe from the Collingwood Magpies. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. That's Digital Radio Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Just click on Digital Radio. And of course, this show is available as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. As mentioned at the top on this week's program, we've got Collingwood's Irish recruit, Sarah Rowe, and a former Brisbane Lion that's moved down to Melbourne to play for the Kangaroos in Talia Randall. Plus, we have a new segment, Kiwi's Kiss of Death. That's Coach Kiwi, Lisa Roper, will be joining us to give us her predictions, not only for the Premiers and League BNF for this year, but also her round-by-round predictions. That is all coming up on the program. But first, to the latest AFLW news. More injury concerns as we head into round one of the AFLW competition. Melbourne's first pick in the 2018 AFLW draft in Tyler Hanks faces the possibility of a delayed start to the season uh, as she deals with bone bruising in her knee. This reported by Sarah Black on the uh, AFL Women's website. They are expecting a return of Hanks in round two, possibly as late as round three. North Melbourne's Maddie Smith uh, has uh, dislocated her right patella to kneecap at training and she may not debut until round six. Also, Isabel Huntington, as we know, she did her ACL last year. There were some complications in December. Many are speculating that her return will not happen until at least the middle of the AFLW season, if at all. Fingers crossed there for Isabel Huntington. And Melissa Hickey, who did her knee late in the AFLW season last year, uh, club doctors are still making an assessment if she'll be right for round one or not. So we'll know hopefully on Thursday if uh, Melissa Hickey, as club captain of Geelong, will be leading out the Cats on that historic first occasion at GMHBA Stadium against Collingwood. Some signing news as well made by the clubs that will be participating in 2020. First of all, the West Coast Eagles have recruited a couple of 17-year-olds in Michaela Bowen and Rosie Deegan, while St Kilda have locked away 21-year-old Ali Brown. And that's your latest AFLW news. We're counting down the days to the start of the 2019 AFLW season. And on Sunday, the 3rd of February, 5 past 1, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at North Hobart Oval will be the historic first ever match of premiership points for the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos as they play host to Carlton. One woman who will be looking to be a key part of the Kangaroos season was recruited from the Brisbane Lions. In fact, she grew up playing her footy on the Sunshine Coast. It's great to have on the line Talia Randall. Talia, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad at all. How are the nerves feeling, uh, not only for the opening game of the 2019 AFLW season, but your first (laughs) official match for points wearing the North Melbourne jumper? Yeah, the nerves are getting a bit um, increasing, that's for sure, but they're all good nerves. I think anything in... um that means a lot to you. You're always going to be excited about and you always want to do the best, best you can. Now, before we talk about your move south from uh, Queensland to uh, Victoria to uh, play for the Kangaroos, let's take a step back through time and head back to Badurum, uh, Queensland, up on the Sunshine Coast. If I'm correct, you actually first took up footy uh, at the age of six. 
Yeah, that's right. I um, My brother played uh, under eights at Kiwana Park Eagles, and one day the coach asked if I'd like to join in. So ever since then, I've sort of been playing footy. And, um, yeah, it's only gone up from there. So around then, we're talking about the early 2000s, and it's only just the early scratchy days of youth girls football beginning and obviously a long way to AFLW. So what was the path like at that stage? Did you actually have to pause it all, or up in Queensland, were you still allowed to continue through? Uh, so fortunately, um, although I had to stop playing at under 12 at club football, my uh, high school at Mountain Creek was a school of excellence in AFL. So although I had to stop playing at the club level at school competitions, I was fortunate enough to keep playing. And then I sort of came around at the right time. And then a couple of years later, the youth girls under 15 started. So I rolled straight into that. They've been talking about how the huge numbers have been in the last three, four, five years in Queensland of girls taking up Aussie rules in Queensland, uh, particularly compared against the boys. It's uh, almost on par. How did you find the level of girls' football back then in Queensland? Surprisingly, it was actually quite at a high standard. Although, you know, everyone didn't grow up playing football, we all came from different sports like soccer, touch, netball, um, old tag, stuff like that. Everyone sort of just picked up footy because we'd always, you know, had a ball in our hands or always wanted to learn. So although the standard now has increased phenomenally, the standard was quite high to begin with. As an early team, the AFLW wasn't on the horizon then. So were you playing footy exclusively or were you playing other sports and looking at possible avenues there of playing professionally? Um, so I grew up playing a lot of different sports. It wasn't until I was in year 10, 11 and 12 that I only just focused on playing football. And what were the other sports that you were looking at playing at? Um, so I played basketball, touch, softball, volleyball, you name it, I, I played it at some stage. <laughs> now, as we mentioned, you were at Kiwana Park, you played uh, Mountain uh, Creek with the um, as schoolgirls football, and then of course you went down to uh, Nambour Maruchidor to uh, play your football there. Uh, can you describe the type of travelling that had to be done just to get a game in Queensland? Yeah, so um, unfortunately the numbers sort of varied a bit over a couple of years. So we had to merge a few clubs together at some at some stage to even have a competition. So we would play games out to Nambour, which living on, on the Sunshine Coast at uh, Kiwana was a good hour and a bit away. So um, the competition varied from Gympie, which is an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours away, to Caloundra. So although the travelling was um, varied, it definitely was worth it in the end. Around that time as well, you were selected into the Youth Girls Program to be coached under Craig Starsevich with the Queensland side. Uh, living on the Sunshine Coast at that time, what was it like and how many hours did you have to spend travelling to be able to give that commitment of training and that high-level performance under 18 side? So we, we trained twice a week for the under-18s academy in, a, in Brisbane. So luckily there was a few girls on the Sunshine Coast who had also been picked. So we shared carpooling, but it, it was about an hour and a half trip each way to get to training in Brisbane. And how difficult is that to balance that? Because that's essentially taking like three hours of, out of your day as you train. Plus at that stage of your life, you're what, in year, 11, uh, year 10, 11, 12, obviously studying at the most important part of your high school career. Yeah, it was definitely hard to balance, I'm not going to lie. But um, having having your timetable set out and planning the day and what exactly that you needed to do definitely helped. But having a good support base also definitely helped me as well. 
Now, around that time when you're 17 years old, uh, you got uh, selected to play for the Western Bulldogs in the uh, AFL Women's Exhibition Matches. What did it mean as someone who hadn't hit legal age yet to be able to drink and drive, but was going to be playing uh, on the national stage? Um, It was very unexpected, but I was so overwhelmed with joy. I didn't even realise I was even eligible to play. So being exposed to such a high level of football and such a experienced group of girls, whether that be playing or coaching, I literally just learnt and just listened to everybody talking in order to improve my game. And obviously it worked well because the next year I was selected in in the women's all-star match. So um, I felt like I've improved drastically over the two years there. And I feel like that's probably why I am where I am today. A Bulldog side at that time that had stars such as Katie Brennan, Ali Blackburn, Emma Carney, Steph Kiyochi, Meg Hutchins. Is it almost intimidating stepping into that environment with the girls that were already household names? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you hear about these girls on the news and you hear about these girls in media articles and you meet them for the first time and they honestly were just the most welcoming people. I've never felt so welcomed with such high-profile players. It, it definitely was eye-opening to see that how, you know, they're just humans like us and although they've got such a big profile, they just want to help the next generation get better and better at football. At the time that you're playing under-18s, I think Taylor Harris at the same time was still in the under-18s for Queensland. It was a pretty good period playing Division One football, taking it right up to the Vicks and uh, WA. Uh, what is it about Queensland football, do you think, at the moment that is making it such an exciting brand of football and there's such the, the quality of players that are coming through compared to we viewing it as a non-traditional football state? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, we're more of a league state, but I feel like that definitely shows in our pressure and our physical presence mm. in the field. Although our skills may not be up to scratch, just like the Victorians and the Western Australians, but I feel like our urgency and our, you know, desire to stop the ball or to to compete, I feel like that makes up for our, our lack of skills. Now, before the AFLW, you actually played in the QWAFL with Wilston Grange. I believe at that time it's before Maruchidor had actually entered the competition. Uh, what came into your thought process to select the Gorillas as the team that you wanted to play with? Um, so when I first moved to Brisbane, um, the Wilston Grange contacted me and asked if I'd like to like to play for them. So I tried to try out a few different clubs and see what one I thought would best suit myself and my and my development. So at Wilson Granger, I have a great setup there with um, Bree Weatherstone being the president and Laura Kidd previously being the coach. So having large amounts of people with lots of football knowledge, but also that they're a developing club and want the best uh, for their players, which can be seen when they had a um, an arrangement with Melbourne Uni. A couple of our girls were able to go down there and play. So that definitely helped a lot. And how was it playing for the Gorillas? When we talk about three years ago, um, the Gorillas were a side that were struggling in the QWAFL. Did you have any idea that that was going to be a side that was going to turn its fortunes around and literally two years later be taking out the Premiership? Yeah, that's right. It turned out quite quickly. We were getting smashed by 100 points and then the next couple of years we came fourth and then obviously we won last year. So they've definitely done a good job in recruiting in not only players but coaching staff and just the... Our facilities, obviously, that's had an upgrade. So they're wanting the best they can for their players and they're doing everything they can to increase in our talent.
As you mentioned that partnership with Melbourne University, two years ago you actually played in a one-off game for Melbourne University in the uh, VFLW competition. Uh, what led to that decision to say, hey, I want to head down to Victoria and play a game? Um, so actually Laura, Laura Kidd, our coach, asked if I would be interested in coming down to Melbourne and, and playing a game. So I felt like at that time I needed to come down to Melbourne and just sort of play a game and expose myself to such a high level of football. Obviously, playing in Victoria at a VFLW level is so much more than a, a quaffle level. So I felt like the more I challenged myself, the more I would get out of it. And so I don't regret coming down and playing that one game at all. And how did you find that experience? Because chatting to Kirby Bentley and others say from WA, and WA, WA have a very similar style of football to Queensland. They talk about how they're used to an outside running game where Victoria it's more congested and it's, it's in tough football. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it's, I think Western Bulldogs is a prime example in the in the final last year, and even in the rounds, they they have a short chipping game and they, and they hit their targets when they need to be hit. And when when they switch and spread out wide or even go through the corridor, they just hit every single target. So I feel like that's the level that we need to be at, and I feel like that's probably where the future of football is going. So let's rewind back to about October 2016. It's the first ever AFL Women's Draft. Second selection for the Brisbane Lions, 15th overall. They call out your name. What's going through your mind at that stage? Uh, well, actually, if I'm being honest, I was working that day, so I didn't even see the draft. And uh, I had that many missed calls from staff trying to let me know that I had been drafted. I didn't get back to him about 7 o'clock at night. So although I didn't watch the game, the, the draft, sorry, it was um, absolutely, I was overcome with, with joy and I, I was just so excited to start pre-season and just get into it. And how is it like after you've been drafted to, I think it was like about three to four weeks to eventually begin pre-season training, is it actually difficult getting to sleep at all or focusing on what you're doing on your day job or studying for the simple fact is you just want to get going? Oh, absolutely. I think it was also we didn't know what to expect, so we didn't know how often we were going to train, how there was a whole lot of unknowns, but it was definitely the hard thing was that sleeping is you're just excited more than anything and you just want to want to get stuck into it. It's um obviously it's hard to concentrate, but when you're at work and you're at uni, you need to focus where you are. Otherwise, you know you might struggle when the football career does come to an end. Now, just by luck, you were under Craig Stasevich again because Craig Stasevich looked after the under-18s and senior women's program in Queensland. He was looking after the Brisbane Lions. So this gives a, a good um, uh, comparison point of how much did the intensity in training go up from what you were doing at State Academy compared to what you were doing with the Lions? Um, so obviously with Lions, we had about five or five or six interstate players. So it wasn't just the, a Queensland state side. So having those interstate girls bring their knowledge, bring their intensity and just bring their experience, not only lifted our training up another level, but it also allowed us to develop quickly and efficiently. Through that first year, you were lucky enough to play in most of the games in the 2017 season, including the season open against Melbourne at Casey Fields, a day where it rained, there was lightning as well, where you had to uh, pause the game. What's going through your head when you're playing that first game of football? Do you notice the crowd at all? Do you have the sense of the occasion? Does it almost distract you? Oh, absolutely. You notice the crowd. Whether it's the, you know, you running out, out the gates or you you know getting a good tackle and you just hear hear the crowd it's it's it just well, I, I don't know how to, to how to describe it it's just so 
it just gives you such a rush and you just want to be able to do everything you can to not only play well for your team, but just hear the roar of that crowd. But oh, that the lightning strike, it definitely threw us off a little bit. We didn't know if we were going to cancel the game, if we were going to come back out a little bit later and continue to play. But regardless of the weather, that was just such a special day. Uh, and obviously, although I don't play for the Lions anymore, I'm always going to remember it and I'm always going to be so grateful that I got the opportunity to play the first game as well as winning that game with such an amazing group of girls. I'll just touch on very quickly on that lightning strike when it happened because everyone came off the ground unscheduled and they had an unscheduled halftime break. What was it like in the rooms at the time? Because no one's expecting it. Did, who stood up and took control to try and, I guess, calm things down? Because I think everyone, that's like you said, is wondering what's going on. Yeah, so um, we just came in the group and Zilk sort of brought us all together as well as all the other leaders. And they just said, no matter what happens, if we're going out, if we're just going to stay in here, we need to be ready and we need to be switched on if and when we do get out there. We can't afford, because I think at that stage we were, we were behind, so we needed to be ready. We couldn't afford to give ourselves a quarter and a, and a bit to get ourselves back into the game. We need to go back out there switched on and ready from the get-go. A tremendous first season. Uh, you got to play in a grand final in your home state. Unfortunately, just falling short to the Adelaide Crows. You then back up for year two, and the switch is made to throw you permanently into the ruck. Now, you're not the tallest ruck in the AFLW at 5.9510. So how are you trying to combat the likes of, we throw in there, Erin um, McKinnon, we throw in uh, Emma King, who ironically now you'll be rucking with at North Melbourne. How did you try to find to get the angle and try and get the best out of you when you're giving away that height advantage? Yeah, so I, it was a physical and mental challenge, that's for sure. But I felt like I had to use the assets that I had in my my vertical leap and my agility. So although I would lose a, a wrestling contest with them, I would sort of go 50-50 most times, obviously excluding <laughs> Amy King. Um, she's ridiculously tall and such an amazing rough. But I felt like I had to use what I had in order to give my midfielders the best opportunity and our team. So whether that be uh, starting from behind and jumping on them or just creating a, an aerial contest was um, where I sort of had to win the rough contest. Taking on that role, do you feel an extra responsibility or extra pressure knowing that when play restarts, you're the first hands on the ball? Yeah, that's right. It was, um, it was definitely a, a huge responsibility. So... We, as rucks, pretty much set the, the tone for the game, whether that be winning the ruck or winning the first clearance. I felt like um, whoever got their hands on the ball first would set the tone for the game. So not only is that good for your team if we win, but it also you have to be prepared to you know physically put, put your body on the line and do everything you can to give the midfielders the best chance in getting that first clearance and hopefully the first goal. Now, when it came around to post-season uh, 2018, we were seeing the introduction of Geelong and North Melbourne and the beginning to sign players. Uh, we were all expecting, first of all, which did happen, Caitlin Ashmore to go from Brisbane to North Melbourne, purely because of the Melbourne University link. Uh, we were expecting Nicole Hildebrand, but she actually ended up going off to uh, Collingwood. Brittany Gibson made the move, which was understandable, um, with her partner just having a child and the Tasmanians wanting to move back to Tasmania and that close link. But then it caught us by surprise that Jamie Stent and yourself decided to move south. What was the decision to move out of your home state to come down to Melbourne? Yeah, it, it was definitely not an easy decision, that's for sure. It was um, 
was over a lot of days and a lot of hard thinking and a lots of you know c- communications with both the Lions and North Melbourne. But um, yeah, although it was hard, um, I felt like with the expansion team coming in, I just knew it would challenge me, and I felt like I had been under Craig Sarsovich for a lot of years, um, whether that be 18s or in uh, at Lions. So I felt like. It was a good change, but I'm also excited to challenge myself more down here in Melbourne. Who made the initial phone call to you to say, uh, are you interested to move to cooler climates? Um, so luckily I, I had a manager at that time, so I didn't actually um, get a personal phone call, which probably helped because I was would have been focused on Lions anyway. So, yeah, they called my manager and he decided when to tell me. And um, which was luckily after the season, so I wasn't distracted at all during the season. So I think that was the best thing that, um, that not only North contact my manager after the season, but gave me a bit of time to process what had just happened at Lions. It seems a bit surreal, doesn't it, that we're used to a few years ago that female footballers uh, would just go around to uh, a particular club at state league level because of the recommendation of friends. And we're chatting to Louise Stevenson how she chose Melbourne Uni just because friends went there. So now we're in a professional environment, like you said, that essentially it's not them calling you, it's, hey, my manager will deal with this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And although sometimes sometimes it's hard, you know, you've got to do the best thing for you, whether that be moving states, whether that be moving clubs, whether that be, you know, uprooting your life. So I feel like although we're not fully professional athletes at the moment, um, girls are doing what they can to better themselves and better the opportunities to give themselves. Like you said, you had to uproot your life. So that doesn't mean just football. That means everything that goes along with it. So for you, are you continuing studying here in Melbourne or are you working? Um, so at the moment, I'm not studying or working. I'm purely just moving down to football. But because uh, I'm studying podiatry at QUT, I'll have to go back up at the end of the season. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to swap over to Latrobe down here. With just a few things didn't work out. So I'll have to move back up to, to Queensland, re, re-move again, and um, get back up to the norm up there with work and uni. So you get to miss the uh, Melbourne cold weather and uh, the better climate up there in Queensland. So you're settled in at North Melbourne now, which uh, put together a star-started list. How do you feel playing along the likes of your captain, league best and fairest, Emma Carney? She said Emma King, who's the person you were going up against, star forward Moana Hope, Jess Duffin, who won the VFLW best and fairest, Jazz Garner. We can just go on and on with the names. Does there feel like a bit of pressure on yourself to perform because you're up against or up playing with this uh, star quality side? Oh, absolutely. There's always going to be pressure, whether that be pressure you put on yourselves or pressure that you know coaches or media put put on you. But I feel like not only at, during games but at training, each and every one of us are learning every step, whether that be small technical. Um, components like tackling, blocking, or whether it be actual gameplay and game knowledge. So we're always learning. And with such stars, like you've said, our team is full of them, not only girls who have played, but girls who haven't played an AFLW game. I feel like we're always learning. And although we haven't officially played a game yet, we've just learnt that much. And I feel like we will be such an amazing team to, to play in round one. Just comparing the Lions to the Roos at the moment in their pre-season training, is there any difference in emphasis to what the Lions were more focusing on to what the Roos are more focusing on? 
Uh, the Lions were more uh, skill-based and more fitness-based. And the Roos have really been focused from the get-go about gameplay, about game tactics, and about how we want to play our style of footy. So although they're, they're pretty similar, I felt like um, the Roos just want to get everyone on the same page with that game plan and give us as much time as we can to practice that and put it in play. And how do you find the differences in coaching style between, I mean, you only played one game essentially under him, but from Craig Stasevich to how Scott Gowans is teaching and mentoring you? Oh, so it's, it's very interesting. They're obviously two different people and two different coaching styles, but Scott Gowan is definitely uh, a team-orientated coach, although you may personally be losing a one-on-one contest. As long as the team is winning, that's all that matters. So it's an interesting approach and definitely something I haven't um, had before, but definitely I've learned a lot of both of those male coaches and I feel like I'm just soaking up every little bit of information they have to give to me. Now, similar to the Adelaide Crows, which had split camps, Adelaide and Darwin, because it's officially the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, you're split between training facilities of Arden Street Oval and a group training in Tasmania. So how do you keep, I guess, the communication, the close-knit bond between the players being spread across two states? Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I feel like we've done it quite well. So at every meeting we have during training, we will always have a phone uh, phone call in or a Skype message that everyone will have access to and everyone can hear the same message. Not only that, but uh, every every Saturday, one of the leadership groups will go down to Tasmania and train with the girls. So definitely, although it's only one player, just having the same link and being able to communicate you know, and demonstrate the drills and the set plays that we have to share with the Tasmanians, it's, it's definitely helped. But having, um, having not... Being not trained together, it's definitely hard, but I feel like we've definitely done the best with what we've got. Now, as we speak to you, the side hasn't been announced at this stage, but obviously, fingers crossed for you, that you're named in the squad for round one. How does it feel personally to be playing in two historic occasions? As we said, playing for the Brisbane Lions first game and you're potentially going to run out and play for North Melbourne's first game and an historic occasion on another point of the first ever AFLW match of premiership points in Tasmania. Yeah, that's right. There's definitely a lot of firsts happening, but I feel like regardless if I'm picked or not for the team, it's going to be an amazing game and an amazing opportunity for not only those in Tasmania, but those obviously younger girls wanting to play football. So it's definitely going to be a monumental occasion regardless, but I feel like it's a lot of big and better things to come. Do you find it a bit surreal or full circle that Tasmania has sprinted up so quickly on the women's football scene when I think I remember reporting about roughly three years ago, and you might have even played in that game for Queensland, when the Queensland senior women took on Tasmania and it was a day of, a, I think it was like 130 to one point thumping. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that game. It was um, definitely Tasmania's come such a long way with players like Jess Bushnell being from Tasmania and making it all the way up to Brisbane and absolutely smashing it up there. But with Emma Humphreys also being from Tasmania and moving to Melbourne Demons and coming back to North Melbourne, there's definitely been a few Tasmanians that have made it out, but having a Tasmanian side or North Melbourne Tasmanian side definitely gives the Tasmanians a chance and and, um, an opportunity to not only make AFLW, but make a name for themselves. 
And finally, just recently, uh, North Melbourne had a telethon uh, where the AFLW players got to interact with uh, members or potential members that were signing signing up. How have you felt um, um, uh, chatting to the North Melbourne fan base and what their vibe is as they're about to head into this world of AFLW? Yeah, the support that we get from the North Melbourne women supporters and men supporters has been phenomenal. We've had a couple of open training open training sessions and they just make their way down regardless if it's, you know, 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock in the morning. They're always down there supporting us. So having the support of them not only strives us to do the best we can for the club but also gives us such great pride that there's history with the club and we're just going to take it up another level with having a women's side as well as a men's side. And just one final thought as well. As you come into the third season, you're only 20 years old. How does it feel that you potentially have a decade to 15 years of football still ahead of you? Oh, it's definitely exciting. I feel like not only myself, but there's a few other amazing young players such as Lily Mithin. You know, she's same age, but she's just absolutely taken off. So being exposed to AFLW at such a young age gives us such an opportunity to develop and ourselves as well as the up-and-coming new draftees or the younger generation. So once we do that, not only will the talent lift, but the exposure and the knowledge of the game will also increase. Well, Talia, thank you very much for joining us here in Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best in the opening game against Carlton down at North Hobart Oval for the 2019 AFLW season. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. We're counting down the days to the season opener for the 2019 AFLW season. A historic occasion at GMHBA Stadium in Geelong as the Geelong Cats play their first ever AFLW match for Premiership points, playing host to the Collingwood Magpies. And one woman that will be looking to spoil Geelong's party is an Irish recruit for the Pies. She kicked two goals in their practice match against the Western Bulldogs in Ballarat. Her name is Sarah Rowe, and it's great to have her on the line. Sarah, how are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad at all. Um, just first of all, can you believe here you are in a summer down under? No, I can't believe it. I think um, I find it hard to believe that it's 32 degrees outside some days and about two degrees at home. So um, it's hard to believe. Well, before we talk... Well, before we talk about the heat and uh, obviously training through that, let's step back to Ireland and step back in time. I believe your first time playing women's sport wasn't Gaelic football, like many people believe, but you were originally a soccer player. Yeah, I originally played soccer in my hometown in Ballina and Mayo. And then I progressed on to play for clubs in Dublin and then eventually made for... I played with the Irish under-15, under-17, under-19 and senior team. So travelled a bit with that and kind of tried to play Gaelic at the same time as well. But um, soccer was my major focus and competed in a good few European games and um, went to the World Student Games and all that. So um, it was good. Soccer was great for me, but um, I ended up focusing on my GA career then after that. What position did you play in soccer? So I was either a right winger or a striker. How many years did you have that crossover between having to have your soccer commitments and Gaelic football commitments? And can you give us an insight into the amount of time you had to spend on training for both? So there 
for maybe I'd say eight years there was a crossover as I was a young kid it was quite easy to do because you know you like your body you didn't have to do gym sessions you didn't have to do kind of the extra stuff that now is being demanded off you at them levels so I could manage to do both of them while some games did end up um crossing over that was the problem and that was a problem for me like I said sometimes you'd let people down because there'd be a big soccer game on and a big football game on at the time and you have to pick between one or the other so um when I was in college I was so 18 19 I was training with both my soccer club playing with Ireland and playing with Mayo and I could have been training maybe 12 times a week and I wasn't being modified in any sessions. I was just doing everything that everyone was asking me and probably put my body through a bit too much. And I suppose then it becomes very monotonous putting on your boots every single day and uh, becoming a bit drained from doing both sports. So then I decided I need to stop being a jack of all trades and be a master of one. So I tried to just focus myself on football and I suppose I always have soccer in the back of my mind thinking that in time I'll go back to it. Um, but who knows now, I didn't expect to be in Australia all the same. Did you turn to Gaelic football more of a case of it was pulling on the heartstrings a little bit considering your family connection to the game and your granddad actually in a very famous Mayo site back in 51? Yeah, it was always a big part of my family and it was always a big part of me. We are very much so a GAA family and it was always really my first love and I suppose my dream is to win All-Ireland for Mayo and I haven't yet done that. Um, but my family are, yeah, big GA supporters. And can we talk about GA for a moment? Because I believe there's been an explosion in numbers over the last few years. I think even last year was about 50,000 people at Croke Park to watch the ladies' GA final. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing the last few years. We've new sponsors on board um, little over the last three years and they've done a serious amount of promotion for us. And we've got way bit bigger attendances at games. Uh, girls are now seen as role models, whereas before you mightn't recognise a girl down the street. But um, they've really done a lot for the promotion of the game and um, the LGFA or the organisation as well have... Um, done a lot of work but while we have 50,000 at an All-Ireland final we probably need to get the attendance up a small bit more at games before that leading into that but um, yeah it's, it's improved by no end. And I guess that just goes into the whole big groundswell in behind women's sport at the moment because I believe uh, obviously big push behind Irish women's rugby at the moment and of course we understand about the Ireland field hockey team, uh, the women's team making the final of the World Cup last year. Yeah, it's it's really good. There's, there's also a new campaign called 2020. So by 2020, they hope to increase the attendance in, in all women's sports and that's by TV coverage and um, by attendance by 2020. So there's a massive push in the next year to up the attendance and up everything to do with women's sports. So it really is on the rise. And it's great to see teams like the hockey team and the rugby team doing well and everyone getting in behind them. When did first playing Aussie rules, the idea of it pop into your head? Um, so I played in the All-Ireland Finals two years ago um, and I got an email from a guy in Australia saying that 
he thought I'd be suited to the game. And to be honest, I hadn't heard of it before then. I'd heard of it through the men's game, but I hadn't heard of AFLW. And I kind of looked into it a bit more then. And he ended up coming over to Ireland and I sat in the chat with him and he explained it all to me. And then we got, I got in contact with um, a guy over here, James Vine up from OMP. And um, he's like my manager over here and he explained it all to me. And then um, the club's got in contact with him and got in contact with me. So that's how it came about. You came in a very unusual way to the AFLW, unlike Cora Storden, which was headhunted, or as we have with the Crosscoders program, which we'll talk in a moment, where eventually a bunch of stars are put on display. You, in another way, were virtually shopped around to the six Melbourne clubs. Um, I, uh, what made you want to choose Melbourne as a city to come to as opposed to the um, other cities and states? And out of the clubs that went, you went through, what impressed you most about Collingwood? Um, yeah, so when I got to see the six clubs, I suppose there was like Melbourne were the first club in contact, then there was um, Collingwood and Geelong and these clubs got in contact and once one club heard, I suppose everyone was kind of like, oh sure, we'll have a look and see how it goes and people watch video recordings. So I think Collingwood were just, they really did go above and beyond for me. Um moving across the other side of the world, you need to know that you have support and you feel at home as soon as you walk into the club and walked into the club and it was the first club that I came to visit and Maxi and and Wayne, the coach, had an interview with me and they were just very professional about what they did and, and they had a lot of information on me as well and I felt at home straight away. So... In that week, I saw every club once, but um, Collingwood made it, went out of their way to, brought me to a game, the MCG, and got me to meet a few girls. So I met them kind of more on a personal level, which was a big thing when you're moving across the other side of the world. Had you been warned prior to picking Collingwood of about the Magpies' special place in the Aussie rules football landscape that simply you either love Collingwood or you hate Collingwood? <laughs> yeah, I had heard about that. But there's a club, there's a team in Ireland called Dublin and everyone hates them because they're really good and they've achieved a lot. So I just said, maybe that's the reason everyone hates Collingwood. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd heard that. I'd heard that about them. I happen to be one of the people who loves them. But um, I can understand all the same, the other side. And they're, like, they're in a great location. They have a lot going for them. They're historically a very good club. So, And um, Eddie Maguire probably doesn't help their case either. <laughs> so, so so, how long a difference was there between you picking back in May uh, to choose Collingwood to actually moving out here to Australia? So I moved out here the 3rd of November. I had my GA season to finish before I'd even think about getting on the plane. So um, while I had a contract signed in May, I had to focus at home and once that was over then I could turn my attention to FLW so I decided to move out um, two weeks before the season started so the 2nd of November. During that period were you focusing on trying to improve any of your Aussie rules skills back in Ireland i.e. for example through support from the uh, AFL Ireland women's competition? Unfortunately I couldn't do that because of my season with GA and it's very intense and 
I couldn't cross over my skills if you get me for fear that I wouldn't perform in GA. So yeah, I had a ball knocking around the house and kind of just get my hands on the ball, but very casually and I wasn't able to, I couldn't really go and play an ASL match and then go to GA training. It, it wouldn't have worked like that. So I was probably trying to mind myself a bit. And so once that ended, um, a few of the AFL coaches in Ireland got in contact and um, I had a chat with them. But um, yeah, I just practiced my skills and just went to a pitch, practiced them about maybe four weeks before I came out. Started doing that. And then I suppose when I got out here, I, I really tuned into it and um, make sure I do extras every week and all that. Before we talk about the skills for a moment, uh, there's been you talk about the PB that you set in the two-kilometre time trial. Obviously, that's coming off your Gaelic background, a very speedy game that is Gaelic football. Can you talk about the miles that you're actually having to cover each training session when you were training for Gaelic football to help with your speed and endurance? Believe it or not, um, we actually cover less ground in Gaelic football and... In a training session, we might cover maybe 5K. Looking at my GPS here, you could cover 9, 10K, some training sessions. So I suppose before I came out, I had six weeks after my season ended. I got a shoulder um, keyhole surgery on my shoulder. took two weeks out, but once I could go back running, I probably was fear of not being fit enough coming over here because there was a few things that I could control before I came over. That was how I trained, how hard I worked, how fit I was, how strong I was and what I ate. So they were all the things that I could control. I couldn't control that I'd, I'm lacking, say, 10 years experience with some of the girls on my team. So I needed to make sure that the controllables were in a good place. So I probably worked extremely hard uh, six, weeks prior, six weeks prior to coming out here and um, rerunning and gym and a lot of fitness classes and stuff like that so I, I put myself in a good position I suppose to be as fit as possible I've probably never been as fit as this for my football but it is a very quick game and it's it's different you move off the ball and there's no there's no rest really there's no such thing really as rotation you play 60 minutes and if you're playing maybe I suppose poorly you're taken off but there's no such thing as rotations, but it's a very quick game. It's, it's definitely a quicker game, and I suppose the ball's not on the deck as much, so um, it can move very quickly around the place. So you do need to be very sharp and agile and on your feet. Let's talk about kicking style for a moment. Obviously, uh, the most famous Irish woman, but albeit the second Irish woman to play in AFLW, was Cora Staunton, and of course, she coming straight out of GAA. She had an unusual kicking style for the Giants in the first season. She was kicking on the inside of the boot and kicking on a curve. Uh, we saw you kick your first goal with a set shot at Mars Stadium in Ballarat as we broadcast that game. And as a traditional Aussie rules technique, nice straight uh, run-up, nice drop of the football and went straight through the middle. Um, did that come to you naturally or how long did you actually have to spend on trying to perfect that style? Well, your style is never perfected really when it comes to skills like that. I suppose you can always get better but um, Wayne was very good um, teaching me and I responded quite well to his coaching style and so I could, I could understand the spin of the ball and the flight of the ball and stuff and probably judge the wind from football so 
um, that helps. So it didn't take me too long, but again, every day is just improving and making sure I'm better every week. And how are you getting down the tactics of the game so far and your positioning work, having to learn all of that, particularly timing of leads and creating space? Yeah, good. I suppose I need to be a bit more patient because football is very predictable. If it bounces in front of you, it's going to bounce straight up to your hands, whereas this ball, you can't really predict it as much. So um, I need to time my runs probably a small bit better and um, that just comes with practice and more games. The more games, the better for me. So, um, yeah, it's been good. Um, obviously, they can't teach me every rule in the game. So, um, the rules sometimes I do get kind of confused about because there's a, there's a lot of them. Um, but it's been good so far. I think one of them was the ball had bounced off the post and you went to pick it up and went to play on without realising that, hey, it hits the goalpost, it registers as a score, it's one behind. Yeah, I was like, come on, in every other game, in hockey, soccer, GAA, it hits the post, you play on. So I was like, how was I supposed to know? I thought I had a nice little handy goal for myself. Now, obviously, the biggest difference of all between, obviously, uh, Gaelic football and Aussie rules is the tackling. So how are you finding the adjustment to the physicality of the game? Yeah, the first um, the first week I was probably, like, fearing down a small bit. But um, once I got my first tackle, I realised it wasn't that bad. Um, but you do need to get rid of the ball quicker than you would in football. You can't really dip and dive a few people because you're going to get hit in the middle of that. So what I probably don't expect is when someone comes in behind you, um, you can never be prepared for that. But I suppose no one can ever be prepared for that. Cause, but once you're in a, a position, a stance that you can take a hit, it's it's fine. Now, I believe you managed to have a chat with uh, Laura Jurey, who, formerly of Melbourne, was the first Irish woman to play in the AFLW. And, of course, she was co-captain of the uh, International Cup-winning Irish Banshees. Uh, what um, thoughts did she manage to pass on to you to help in your journey? Well, she's been really good with explaining to me how the training works and what the routine is like, the life of an AFLW player and, and she's been there for any questions that I ever needed to ask, and she's been really helpful. And when she was at home in Ireland, um, I tried to meet up with her, but it just didn't work out. But, um, yeah, she's been great help. She hasn't tried to uh, convince you to pull on an Irish Banshees jumper for International Cup 2020? <laughs> not yet, anyway, not yet. I believe also as well with the Crosscoders program that came out in September that actually had 11 Irish women take part in that and of course three were selected to go to AFLW clubs. So you actually had a friend or two that took part in that program. Yeah, um, my friend Ashley Sheridan and Marion Atkinson were over and they absolutely loved it and hopefully in the future they will get picked up because um, they're, they're very talented girls and and the Irish girls are and any of the Irish girls who came over and um, hopefully will do really well and if that's the case I suppose they'll go looking at more Irish people in the future. Now who have they teamed you up with in Melbourne as your housemate and obviously a pseudo tour guide of the city? <laughs> so my housemate is Ruby Schleicher. She plays on the team. She's, um, she's probably the jokester of the team. So I'm, I'm lucky. She's very entertaining. 
And has she introduced you already to the Melbourne cafe culture and the snobbery us Melburnians have around coffee? Oh, the coffee over here is the best. I, I'm turning into a coffee snob since I moved over here. But, yeah, she's introduced me to loads. She's brought me to down Turkey. She's brought me down the coast to see all the nice beaches and the coffee and the brunch. The brunch is exceptional as well. So, and um, yeah, I've had a great time since I've got here so far. Turning back to the Magpies for a moment and Wayne Siegman, can you give us an insight into the different coaching styles compared to um, the mentorship that's passed down from the coaches in the Gaelic football to Wayne Siegman's style with AFLW? Well, I suppose it's different over here because there is so much and a great structure in place and because we're an amateur sport at home, you have you know, you have one or two coaches and they kind of have to do everything at home. So over here, have, Wayne is obviously the head coach, and but there's a lot of people around him to help. So there's so many people for every little area that you want to improve on. So um, I just find the professionalism of all that is is great. And any day I need help off anyone, there's there's someone to call. But yeah, Wayne's coaching style is very good. He's He's firm and, you know, he tells you how it is and he's straight with you. And I really appreciate that and I like getting, I suppose, as much feedback as I can off him. And how is the mood amongst the Collingwood camp as we count down the days to round one and taking on Geelong? Because it's a very different looking Collingwood side, um, as many here in Australia would know. They lost a number of players because of the expansion period. North Melbourne were one of the clubs that decided to raid the Magpies and take as many players as they could. It's a very new look team. How is it all gelling together? Um, yeah, it's been gelling together. Goes. There's been a really good atmosphere in the camp and I suppose the girls are just there to work hard and that's all we want to do and um, do that and hopefully I suppose you might reap the benefits of that but um, it's been a really good place it's a really good place for me to be and um, I've really enjoyed the girls and get on great with them all Now I know you've played in front of uh, tens of thousands of people at, at Croke Park but how does it feel to you personally knowing that considering that two goal uh, performance in the practice match you're very likely of playing in round one and a big occasion it's Geelong's first ever AFLW match they're expecting 20,000 plus at Cadinia Park under lights, primetime national TV. How do the nerves feel coming into this historic occasion? Yeah, I suppose I'll be patient and I'll wait until the squad is in to make any assumptions. But um, I'm really looking forward to it. If I do get picked, um, it'll be a really good experience for me. And My dad is, is flying over for the game and hopefully I, I do get to play. But... Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the difference between that and GA. And um, I've been out to the stadium in Geelong when I was over the last time. It's a really nice stadium, really, really good facility. So um, I'm really looking forward to it and um, hopefully the game goes our way. And what's the plan for you post-AFLW season? Will you be heading back to Ireland to play another Gaelic season or will you be looking to stay out here and playing uh, throughout the winter in the State League? Yeah, no, I was head back to Ireland straight away once the season ends. I probably have maybe two weeks that I'll stay out here for um, go on the team holiday and stuff and then I will head back to Ireland to play GA because 
comes into the like smoke serious time of my season once I get home. So I'll have to get back as soon as possible. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best as we lead into round one of the AFLW season. Thank you. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. It is now time for our new weekly segment, Kiwi's Kiss of Death. Lisa Kiwi Roper, a legend of the Sydney women's football scene, played over 250 games, coached multiple premierships. She moved down to Melbourne where she's now an assistant coach for the Darabin Falcons as well as a playing coach with the Coburg in the AFL Masters women's competition. It is great to have her on the line to discuss who will win the AFLW Premiership of 2019. And as I said, each week to find out her tips of who will win and by how much. Lisa, how are you? I am very good, very rested and um, very getting my tan on in the sunshine. Now, just before we get stuck into our predictions, uh, we were talking off the air about what we we're going to think were going to be the premiers and who were going to be best and fairest. We're talking about um, rising stars, and it's crazy to think that you were involved, weren't you, with the academy program several years ago, and uh, from the, I guess, the little girls that you were coaching, a number of them are household names playing in the AFLW today. Yes, I, um, I I remember seeing, I don't know if you ever could say Taylor Harris was small or um, Sabrina Frederick Traub. Um, they were tall back then and playing for Breeze when they played against the New Zealand Kahu team. And then the following year, I was part of the academy that had the likes of Catherine Smith and Lily Misson and um, a whole bunch of Taylors and who also came to New Zealand and played against Kahu. And... Um, yeah, they are. They're outstanding. You wouldn't think that they were so young now, and I think they must be around about the age 21, 22. So um, very experienced players now, but um, still very young by age. Yes, I wouldn't call Taylor Harris or Sabrina Frederick Traub small, but unfortunately I think for the rest of her life we'll be calling <laughs> Lily Mithin small. That's just how it is. <laughs> so let, let's have a she look. She doesn't play so. Yeah, so let's have a look ahead to um, season 2019 that uh, kicks off on Saturday. I'm going to go, before we go match by match for the early tip, let's go for the most obvious one, the AFLW Premiers. We've got 10 teams in the competition as Geelong and North Melbourne have joined, or should we correctly say the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. Who is your early prediction for Premiers for AFLW Season 3? Um, I'm going to go um, 1A and 1B in the final. So I think it's going to be um, Kangaroos versus Giants in the final to balance it out. And um, both have got strong lineups, but I'm going to tip the Giants. So there we Maybe are. Maybe a little bit hard, but, you know, I think, um, you know, both really strong midfield. So I think they'll be the ones that will carry the, carry the comp this year. And full disclosure as well, Kiwi, of course, is part of a new podcast called Giants Women's Say. Yes, I um, have a little hand in helping them out each week. Just small. (laughs) (laughs) Have a look for them on all your popular podcast platforms. So you're going for GWS to beat the Kangaroos for the flags. Let's break it down to League BNF. Will Emma Carney go back to back or do you spot someone different winning it? Um, look, I think Emma Carney's going to clock up a lot of points. I think also Erin Phillips will be back 100%, clock up a lot of points. And a dark horse is, I think, Sarah Rowe. She's a cross-coder, 
come over from Gaelic football, and I think she's going to work magic for the Collingwood midfield. Um, but also Courtney Gunn for Giants. And you mentioned Sarah Rowe, of course, who plays as a forward, and that is obviously a good uh, indication for us to now go across to the leading goal kicker. Uh, we've had in Season 1, Darcy Vessio. Season 2 was Brooke Lachlan. We know that Brooke will most likely be not defending that title. She's out for a good chunk of the season through a fractured fibula. So it looks like we we'll, may have a new leading goal kicker. Who do you think that will be for 2019? Um... I think with um, Carlton playing Brown and Davy in the forward line with Darcy, they'll share the goals a little bit, so that might go against them winning. I actually think that both of them are going to bang in a few goals. I think Katie Brennan is going to run loose. I think she will be right up there. And the dark horse, if I stick with the Irish team, I think Yvonne Bonner is going to bang in a heap of goals for Giants. And let's go across to the rising star, which, of course, is for the under-21. Doesn't necessarily have to be in their first season, as uh, we discovered, as we were chatting earlier, to Talia Randall, who was nominated as a rising star in her second season of playing uh, AFLW. Who do you think will be the NAB AFLW rising star of season 2019? Uh, I, yeah, I think Talia was going to... I reckon she will um, definitely be one that will be looked at. I I think also one of the new ones, Alice Parker, Elise, Alice? Elise Parker. Parker for yeah. yeah, the Y, yes. I think um, if she gets plenty of game time, she will be um, probably highly rated up there as a rising star. If she doesn't, I think Nina Morrison will probably get game time for Geelong. And for what it's worth, I'm going for the Lions to win the flag this year. League BNF, Katie Brennan, leading goal kicker, Cora Staunton. And for the rising star, I'm going to tip Chloe Shear of the Adelaide Crows. Let's have a look at the first round of the AFLW season. Now, I know I saw in one article, I think it was on the uh, Women's Game website they were talking about Friday night. No, it doesn't start on a Friday night this year. It starts on a Saturday night, February 2nd, live on Channel 7, 6.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Geelong versus Collingwood at GMHBA Stadium. Kiwi, this is interesting because we've got a Geelong side that, for most of the side, they've kind of gelled together over the last couple of years playing in the VFLW. They now make the step up with the added stars to AFLW, taking on a Collingwood side who's had a massive list turnover. Yeah, and I think that'll work in huge favour for Geelong in the way that they connect together. Um, And they've bolstered with some... Um, really, really handy players from other sides, you know, with Astro O'Connor, Mal Hickey coming in, um, Rocky joining them, who was there in winter as well. Um, having said that, though, Rocky's out for round one, so that'll leave a bit of a hole. And if Mal Hickey plays, she will only play if she's feeling 100%, and I expect her to actually have a very, very big impact in the game. So, um, and if Astor played like she did, I think she's, it, it was like she turned back the clock in the practice game. She ran all over the field and won a lot of ball. That's going to be a huge factor for Geelong and getting them going forward. So if they can clean up where they had a few holes in defence, um, I think being home, being in front of that big crowd, it's an awesome stadium. And the excitement that's been building, I think, for the last couple of years for Geelong to have a team, um, I'm going to go Geelong by seven. So you're going for a close one, Geelong by seven points. I want the yep. I want the overall under. The Cats uh, have been predicting that at least twenty thousand will show up to uh, Cadinia Park, GMHBA Stadium. Over or under? Will we get over twenty thousand or just under? Uh, 
Oh, I think we'll get over. I think there's enough people excited about um, the season kicking off. You've, it's on a Saturday night, so there's plenty of time to travel out there, travel out lunchtime, you know, go to the, there's some lovely cafes down at the waterfront there or um, take your swimmers, have a swim around out there or pop out to Ocean Grove for a surf. There's, you know, plenty to do on your way out to the game. So um, they're planning a big uh, family fun day. So the kids are all welcome. I just think, you know, they're building for a big carnival atmosphere. And, yeah, I reckon they'll get over 20. And as part of the Saturday night double header, both being shown on 7 at 8.10 p.m. local time, 8.40 Eastern time, it's the 2017 Premiers versus the 2018 Premiers. Adelaide versus the Western Bulldogs at Norwood Oval. Should be a big crowd in for that as well. And we know that both sides have got injury concerns. Foley and Metcalf are out for the Crows. That is going to deplete their ruck stocks. On the Western Bulldogs side, as we said, Lachlan is out with that fractured fibula. They're not anticipating Isabel Huntington to return until the middle of the season. But to be fair, they played most of last year without Huntington. Lachlan's probably the big out for them. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll miss um, Brooke definitely running around, but I think it'll free up more space for KB and um, with her, her, her new ankles. Uh, I think she'll be running a lot better and she'll be keen to get a few goals on the board for, for Bulldogs especially. And we should mention there's two KBs that could be dominating in the forward line. Katie <laughs> Brennan, of course, as we all know, the superstar out of Darabin and the co-captain of the Western Bulldogs. But uh, the big hype around Katie Bartlett out of WA, who's dominated the last two under-18s national carnivals. Yes, apologies. I um, do acknowledge there are two KBs. The one I'm talking about is yeah, Katie Brennan. Um, and yeah, no doubt the, the, the new one. The younger one, she'll step up and make stake her own name, I think. I guess the bigger question is, um, particularly if Erin Phillips plays and fully fit, who's the bigger in? Katie Brennan back for the Western Bulldogs or Erin Phillips fit and back for the Adelaide Crows? Well, good question. I think Erin um, Phillips on one leg last year standing in the goal square kicking four goals will probably um, – say that her running 100% will be able to give a lot more to Adelaide. Um, plus, she's versatile. You can use her through the midfield and the forward line, whereas probably Katie Brennan's mostly just a forward. And also, it doesn't sound good, just a forward. They're very important forwards. And, and also, the big difference uh, we should point out is the Western Bulldogs go in, not only reigning premiers, but still with their coach, Paul Groves, Adelaide with a change of coach as well. So this is the first time for, for premiership points they'll be playing under their new coach's uh, game plan. Mind you, we should mention that they comfortably won by about 20 points against Fremantle in Darwin uh, a week and a half ago. Yeah, they did. And they had um, Rhiannon still with them for, I think, a big chunk of that match. I think having them play together as Northern Thunder or a chunk of them playing together as Northern Thunder in the Winter Series, that will be a big advantage for them coming in under this new coach. So they'll have that connection. And um, and Grosie's probably lost some really important players with the with the new teams coming in. Um so I'm picking I'm pick it's going to be a pretty close game. I'm going to go the Crows by 12 just because they're at home and Norwood Oval is pretty good for them. They've had good luck down at Norwood. 
Um, and I think they'll get a good crowd down there too. So there you are, the Crows by Tyburn. We mentioned those Bulldogs players that are gone. Emma Carney and Jenna Bruton have gone, of course, to North Melbourne. Astro O'Connor gone to Geelong. Three games on the Sunday. The North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos make their debut against Carlton at the uh, nice and small North Hobart Oval. 1.05pm Eastern Time, that game on Fox. Yeah, this is our first crossover of the matches um, with the Kangaroos from the A section. Carlton from the B section. Um, I thought Carlton was strong in their practice match. Um, and having Bree Davies up front, you know, banging in the goals, I think was gives them another arm to their forward attack. Um, and, you know, she, she's looking in great form too. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting trip for the Blues traveling all the way to Hobart, whereas Kangaroos have done it a few times already. So that, you know, could, could weary them a little bit. Um, but I think the list that the Kangaroos have built, um, it's pretty hard to fault it. They've got strength throughout that field and um, and their coaching panel. They've got a lot of strength and talented, experienced coaches. So I'm going to go the Roos by 19. Going for a big win there, as you mentioned. Bree David kicked four goals in a practice match. But we should point out, to be fair, she was playing out of the goal square Probably moved no more than 15, 20 metres out of that goal square. <laughs> Mainly, though, Daniel Harper did mention it was more of a purpose of just giving her a run and her confidence back. First game back after she did her knee in round two last year. You would expect, though, that the role that Davy did play would actually be played by Darcy Vessio in this match. Yeah, because they didn't have Darcy play that game. Um, so I think she's going to be huge for them. And if they can drop Taylor back a little bit and use her to bring the ball forward perhaps a little more or, you know, with the three of them, there's a lot of mobility through them. So um, they'll be hard to mark up on, definitely, and um, they'll be, you know, be good to watch. The interesting thing for North Melbourne, of course, is they've got a bunch of the Collingwood talent in their side. They've picked off the former Collingwood Marquis in Emma King and Moana Hope. They picked up Jazz Gunner. They picked up Jess Duffin. Um, it was a big old raid by the Roos on the Pies. Um, the, the question is, of course, uh, can they click? Because, you know, a number of those stars were together at Collingwood and for whatever reason, it didn't work at the Pies. Can it work at North Melbourne? Yeah, I'm hoping that with the coaches they've got, they're able to um, make use of their experience in the game and their knowledge of those those players. So I think they'll be able to bring them together and um, they should blend well with the, the talent they've raided from um, Bulldogs and I think there's a few Lions in there too. So <laughs> they've done some good raiding. So you're going for North by a big margin in that game. 3.05pm uh, Eastern Time on Fox Sunday at Casey Fields. It's Melbourne hosting Fremantle. Yeah, no, I'm tipping this is going to be fairly even match. Um, Melbourne losing Daisy and Mel, Rocky. There's a big chunk out of the midfield. Um, with Daisy's wisdom, I feel, is still being shared, even though, you know, as her in an assistant coaching role, um, and on the field, I think you'll have Paxino Day, who, who've got enough experience to really take control in the middle. You've got those youngsters we talked about earlier with um, Lily Mithin and Catherine Smith. I think you know they'll they'll have a better chance to step up more this year. Um, Frio they've probably worked probably the hardest of all the teams with the amount of travel they have to do. They've got um, their original marquee. I think is she may be back for the first time. Kiara Bowers, 
<laughs> yeah, I think she's looking for her first game because um, she was hit with injury the last two seasons. So that will, you know, help them out. But um, I'm still tipping it to be a close game. I'm going to go D's by nine. And uh, as you said, with the D's, they lost a number of players to Geelong, including the likes of uh, Aaron Hoare. They lost uh, Melissa Hickey, uh, Rochelle Cranston, just to name a few. Um, they managed to hold Lily Mithin because there was a lot of talk, actually. Was Lily Mithin going to go to Geelong or not? She ended up staying with Melbourne, which I guess was lucky for them because I guess Melbourne were expecting to lose the likes of Melissa Hickey from their midfield and thinking, OK, they lose Melissa. That's fair enough. Catherine Smith could make the step up from back pocket and rotate through. But... Daisy Pierce being out for the season, obviously, congratulations to expecting twins on the way. That's probably the biggest blow because not only is that another important midfielder, and as she said, she's offering leadership as an assistant coach, but geez, she's really needed on the ground as a leader, isn't she? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, people know she's a good player, but it's just her absolute game instinct and her, her football smarts. And she, you know, even if she's not touching the ball, she's giving a lot of guidance in there and really. That kind of um, stuff that you can't put on the field from an, a coaching, from an assistant coaching role. So I'm sure she's, you know, passing as much information as she can on to the others. And, um, and yeah, it, it's a huge loss and it's probably something you won't be able to cover at all because I just think Daisy's got such an incredible smart brain, so um, football brain. So you, you couldn't replace that on the field. Um, and, yeah, it'll be a loss. And, and Lisa Day and... Um, Karen Paxman, they're, they're very experienced as well. So they're not um, going to be fully exposed, but it just means those two will probably have to step up and make a lot of those decisions between them instead of relying on what probably Daisy would have done. And finally, at 4.05 p.m. local time, 5.05 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time at Moreton Bay Central Sports Complex up in Brisbane on Fox this Sunday. It's the Brisbane Lions versus the GWS Giants. Yes, this um, this is going to be a good game. I am flying up to Brisbane for it. Um, I think both teams have got quite strong lineups across the board. Even you know they might have lost a couple to the new teams. Probably the Br- Brisbane a little bit more than Giants. Um, the practice game, the Giants won by about forty points, which they did similar last year. But by the time we played in season. Um, Lions are all over the Giants in a really must-win match, unfortunately, for the Giants supporters. Um, Lions rested Lutkins in that practice game, and she's very, very important in their defence line and probably would have stopped a lot of the goals that they um, conceded. The GWS forwards, I'm typically going to be very creative this year. They don't have an out-and-out tool to, um, as a target that normally takes the, the taller defender. And I think um, what you've got, you've got two Irish up there who are pretty unpredictable. Um, you've got Cinder Barkley, who I think is an outstanding contested marker of the ball. Um, you've got Bernardi and Smith, who, Schmidt, who um, play, you know, seem to be playing in really good form in the practice game and both very handy players. So you've got quite a talented forward line. And with Lutkins back, I don't know who she's going to pick as the most key forward to mark up on because, you know, I think all five of them will do a lot of damage. And, you know, and Giants have got others they can use through the forward line too. So um, I think that's where, you know, the Giants will get a few goals is because they, you know, there's so much talent in their forward line. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the battle is going to be in the midfield. 
definitely. I think, you know, both teams have got some very, very handy midfielders. And, um, you know, I think the strength with Ali Brush and Courtney Garm and um, um, oh, is there's just some really good midfield players for the Giants. I think they will probably have the edge over the likes of Sabs um, and even Exxon, I think, is very handy for Giants. So I think the I think uh, sorry for Lions. I think the Giants will have the edge, um, and I'm going to pick the Giants by <clears throat> 18. So you're going for a big win there for the Giants. It's interesting to compare the forward lines like you speak of where you've got probably playing out of the goal square Jacinda Barclay with Staunton acting more of a rover. Mainly because of her curved kick, it probably suits her to play the pocket a bit more. But then you've got who do you go centre-half forward with the Von Bonner proving that she can play that role in the cross-coders match against the VFLW team back in September. Plus you've got Christina Bernardi who's proven that role uh, playing at the Times, particularly that game against Melbourne up in Alice Springs. On the opposite side, when you look at the Lions forward line, you, you talk about uh, a wily old forward line that, and, and I shouldn't use the term old because two of them will be insulted because they're quite young. Uh, but they've just got, you know, it's they've got it going on between the ears. Probably one of the smartest forward lines going around. Sabrina Frederick Traub is a tall, and then you'll have in your pockets the goal sneak that is Jessica Wuchner, and now on the other side you'll have the veteran that is Lauren Arnell. Yeah, I think um, I think Lauren is going to be huge for their team. You know what she she may not have quite the pace to keep up with the likes of Wushner, but she has some very good footy smarts, and that's going to help those other young ones um, learn the game and make better decisions on the field too. So yeah, I'd t- I'd say I now will get a few goals this season without a doubt. Um, and yeah, Wushner is going to be hard to stop, and even so, Sophie Conway is very quick in the forward line. So it would depend um, how the Giants go. I know Hetherington had a bit of a sore knee through the winter season, so if she's got through that. Um, and um, the, the Giants' backs are probably untested last week in the practice game. So this will be a good good head out for them. But, um, yeah, I just think through that midfield, I think the Giants' midfield will just get the ball a little bit more and send it in and there'll be just too many options in the forward line to... Um, have been a goal. Um, having said that about Cora, her kicking has straightened up. She's got a, a much straighter set shot now at goal. And um, Yvonne Bonner is also banging in a straight set shot. So um, anything can happen with these Irish. And we should mention that great back line as well for the Lions because you've got in there Aaliyah Kasler, who's now, of course, captain, Kate Luckins, and the addition, the welcoming back of Sam Virgo, who, of course, missed last season with an ACL. Yeah, and she was very solid through, um, you know, even without luck, and she was solid in that practice game too. So I think, you know, she'll be, she'll have a really good season. She'll be pumped for um, watching last year and, and get out there and do a job this year. Now, just before we let you go, Kiwi, as we mentioned, you're on the GWS podcast, that is Giants Women's Say. When is that podcast available and how can people download it? Um, the first one is, is, is due to hit any minute now. Um, it's all been edited and gone through. So it's just because it's the first time, it just takes a little bit to get through um, iTunes. Um, and the second one we've actually recorded so that we could all go to the beach yesterday. So we recorded that one for our preview for this week, and then it's usually going to hit around about Wednesday, Thursdays. it should hit. 
look out for it. And who are some of these stars of the podcast? Did I see correct in a picture uh, one of the uh, premiership coaches from the Sydney women's competition and an assistant coach formerly at the GWS and Tracy Kick? Yes, Tracy Kick is um, one of the regular hosts. She is in there with uh, Fiona Lamb, who is a super fan. So um, they're the two main hosts of the show. They let me in to give my two cents worth. But, yeah, Tracy Kick's knowledge of the game is um, exceptional. She's a five-time premiership coach. And, and with her inside knowledge from being in the, in the coaching inner sanctum of the Giants last year is just add some really good information. Um, we get, we've got a few guests in there. We've got an Ask Mum section. So we'll talk to um, some of the parents of the players. So we've already hit up um, Maddie's mum, Carol Collier. So she she um, was interesting to chat with, um, and um, we've got coming up in a couple of weeks is Natty Morgan, who is one of the one of the one of the players who kind of founded the league in Sydney. She was my first state captain. She is a Victorian who'd moved to Sydney and very talented left-footed kick. Um, banged a lot of goals, but very strong for New South Wales. And our original best and fairest medal was actually the Natty Morgan medal. So excited to have her in there. We'll probably do a little bit of a reminisce about the Sydney competition back in the day. But um, she's a huge fan and follows football um, all weeks as well. So, yeah, exciting times. Well, Kiwi, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival and giving us Kiwi's kiss of death. We look forward to seeing how your tips go and joining you again next week for your tips for round number two. Excellent. I am off to the beach now, so I'm hoping you guys have a lovely sunny day and refresh however you can. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival for yet another week. We'll be back again next Wednesday evening, 6pm, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Just click on digital radio. And if you miss us on the radio, you can still listen to us as a podcast. Every Thursday, just head along to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud and search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.